0: Welcome to the 1,000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I'm the founder of 1,000 Hours Outside. We have a new friend with us today, Justin Whitmell Early, welcome.
1: Hey Ginny, how are you? I'm so glad to be here.
0: So glad to have you. So I found you through Aro. Aro is a product and an app combo designed to help you combat screen time. It is the biggest issue in families today in America is dealing with screen time more than, you know, sex, drugs, and all the other things used to be. It's screen time. It's the biggest battle. And so Aro is this product that... Helps families, the owners, Heath and Joey, have been on our podcast Sorry. very recently. And so, through researching Aro and going through their website, you popped up all over the place.
1: I'm so glad. So, yeah. it was so neat. <laughs> I love those guys. I love those guys. I love what they're doing. I love yeah. their product. I put my phone in the Aro box every night.
0: Oh, it's the coolest. It is a fantastic product combined with their app and they are fantastic people.
1: They really are.
0: You know, it's a really cool thing to rub shoulders with a company and then meet the owners and find out that they are phenomenally impactful in their worldview and ideology and the things that are important to them. So your name is all over their website. And then I asked during the podcast, Who has inspired you? And you were one of the names that came up.
1: Oh, man. (laughs) That's so cool.
0: So I really appreciate yeah. you taking the time to be with us today. And I reached out as soon as that podcast was over. And I snagged your book. I'm going to show you this. And I don't know if other people are getting this, but this, this is what came in the mail. So I, it's the large, the large print. Oh,
1: wow. Large <laughs> in print. case you don't have glasses. Yeah. This is like this. Yeah.
0: So I, I ordered the common rule, habits of purpose for an age of distraction and just absolutely loved it. Yeah, i ended up getting the, the large print edition i'm not quite sure how and then on my husband's nightstand lo and behold was this i had no idea there you go. so we already there had you your go. book habits of the household practicing the story of god in everyday family rhythm so we have both of them and you have a new book coming out in august called made for people i'm so excited to read that about friendship and loneliness fighting for the life of friendship i can't wait to read it so Congrats on all these books. So before we dive into the meat of what you write about, i love for people to get to know you a little bit. You've got quite the story here. You are a lawyer, an author, a father. You've lived in different parts of the world. So tell us about Justin.
1: Yeah, I've got a long and winding background. I'll give you the very short version. So I graduated college as an English major. I was actually a missionary in China for a couple of years after that until I felt really I I say called to the legal profession. So I felt like the legal profession was something that I was supposed to do. And I ran at it really hard, which meant that I one, did really well, and two, ended up with an enormous anxiety breakdown in my first year of lawyering, where I realized that I was so formed by the practices of law school and lawyering, just the 1000 unseen habits that you can kind of miss because they're invisible, that it had converted the former missionary into the nervous medicating lawyer in a very short amount of time. So, I started to rebuild my life after practicing law in the first couple of years with a real careful attention to habit, which led to me starting to write about habit, which is why you see in my books, The Common Rule and Habits of the Household. The way that the little ordinary things that we do every day form us in deep emotional, spiritual, mental health ways are really important to me. And so that's been a big part of my story. I started writing. I'm an author as well as a lawyer. But more important than all that, I'm a father to four boys and a husband to my wife, Lauren. So I'm, I'm a lawyer, I'm an author, but the defining feature of my life is a father of these four boys and a husband to my wife, Lauren. And we love to be outside. I always say the b- boys can't break the outdoors. So we like to be there because they seem to be able to break everything else. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I'm you know, so excited that you called because you know, I think a lot about habits and think a lot about formation. I think a lot about parenting four boys outside.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your books are heavy in your faith, which I share Mm -hmm. your faith. And so if people are interested in that, they should definitely check them out. Both books talk a lot about your spiritual growth, but then also about your daily living. And I got a lot out of both of them a lot. I was just talking to my husband this morning about like I was mulling it over over the weekend. I planted some seeds and I'm not a good gardener, but you know, you take the seed and you just have faith that you're going to put it in the ground and something's going to grow. And they're so small. (laughs) And it just seems like, how is this gonna work? And I think from your books, I got that huge reminder that things don't have to be perfect. And you are really vulnerable Mm. in these books that you can just Mm. do these small things. And if you just do them daily and you're faithful to do them, It really can make a big impact on your life. I got a lot out of it. And like I said, my husband and I have been talking about just some of the different ideas you have in both books and what we're taking out of it. So one of the things that you talk about, and it relates to this audience, because we are trying to carve out time to spend with our kids. We're trying to carve out time to spend outdoors in an age of distraction. That's what you talk about, habits of purpose for an age of distraction. So you really talk about this idea of busyness, and you you hit on it a little bit a minute ago, but you hit a wall because yeah. you were so busy. Can you tell us about that transition from hitting a wall to knowing that you needed to make a change? And then what did you do?
1: Yeah, let me dive into that story a little more. So as I said, in my transition from being a missionary to being a lawyer, I felt deeply called to lawyering, which I just want to note, anybody who feels like they like their job or their job has purpose, and hopefully that's you, hopefully that's a lot of people. If you care about what you're doing, and many of us do, then you are prone to ignore all the ways that it stretches you, all the ways that you sort of live in this invisible current of American modern life, which is to become busier, to become obligated to a lot of things. Technology is obviously an enormous accelerator of this. This has always been true, I think, of American culture, but it's particularly true now when Mm -hmm. you can just receive beeps, rings, and dings from anything and everything. And that was my life in law school. So I just was always adding more to my resume. I was always doing more because I thought that's what you did as an inspiring young lawyer, you know, Mm -hmm. to get ahead. And when this came crashing down on me, I had no idea why my life was falling apart. Literally what happened is I'm laying in bed one Saturday night and this is my first year of lawyering and I wake up with what I now know is a panic attack. But then I just woke up my wife because I was scared. My hands are shaking. My heart is beating. I don't feel right. And I didn't know why at all. Two nights later, I'd end up in the emergency room where a doctor would tell me that it was just simply anxiety as if that was normal (laughs) and as if that was comforting and sent me home with sleeping pills and I react to sleeping pills on all the ways you read on the back of a bottle. So my life truly fell apart. And the point that I would just note here is that before this, I was an extremely normal, emotionally healthy, relaxed, stress-free person. And so it was a real jolt to me to realize what I finally realized. And that was that I had been, I would say, converted to the nervous, anxious lawyer by habit. By unseen habit, I always thought that you would have to make a decision in your head that I'm going to be the type of person that worries. But what I realized was that by living like an anxious person, I became an anxious person. Hmm. And so through this sort of assimilation to the a thousand unseen habits of modern America, they will change you. You use the you know example of gardening earlier. We are much more like plants than not. We will grow in a certain direction. And if we don't have a trellis to uh, picture it like Mm -hmm. a vine, if you don't have a trellis of habit to build your life into what you hope it to become, then you'll just grow sideways like a regular vine. And that's fine, except for you end up strangling other plants and yourself. And I would say, you know, a lot of the mental health crisis in us and in our children is a lot that we do not pay attention to these 1,000 unseen habits that we have every day, particularly around technology. Mm -hmm. And I love that your program is organized to say This isn't necessarily easy, but it is important. And you should develop a rhythm of being outside because guess what? All life amounts to rhythms in the end. You know, you can do amazing things by putting in a small habit. And so my big thing now is to think, push back on busyness because to do nothing is to do something really significant. And that is just to assimilate to the normal American life. And that is emotionally and physically and mentally unhealthy.
0: Mm -hmm. That's an interesting story, Justin, because here you are. You're in your first year of lawyering, and yet, to pro- yet I don't know when it happened when you got married and when you had kids, but you were able to make it through. Then, then you've added it's a large family, four sons, and yeah, right. here you are now in a spot that's better. So you would think that you would be in a spot that's worse, right? That you're adding on family right. life on top of this intense career. So. What's interesting about the whole thing is that it's just been some small shifts that have gotten yes. you out of a place that was really unhealthy to a place that was healthy. Tell me, I'm curious, because you write in your books about doing intermittent sleeping and speed reading.
1: Yeah. My, okay. I tell people often, my life is more stressful and more complicated, not less than when I had an anxiety breakdown eight years ago. Right. So I now run my own law practice. I write books. I have four boys. Mm -hmm. It is not less complicated. But by having what I, I'll give you another analogy, guardrails, by having small daily habits that function as guardrails in place, I find that I'm actually able to drive faster and safer on this road because they keep me in check. And I don't want to just seem like the goal of life is to do more and drive faster. But anybody out there listening knows life demands a lot from you, particularly as you become a parent. It asks an enormous amount of you. And if you don't have a couple habits in place to keep you safe, which are things like, when am I my phone away? Uh, what am I going to do when I wake up first thing in the morning? Am I just going to start scrolling? When am I going to rest? When am I going to commune with friends in a serious way to keep my relational life alive? Like we could talk about all these little habits. But if you don't have those in place then you will go off the road. So a, yeah. a lot of my life now I say like I do do more now, but I do it a lot more happily and I do it a lot more safely and I'm a much better person now previously. I would oh, I would just try to do things like intermittent sleeping or like <laughs> speed reading. I was trying to how can I just get more done, you know? Yeah. And I here's the difference. I think one of these is anti-human and one of these is Mm. a very human way to go about it. What is anti-human is my prior life. And that was to assume that I could just push back against my body and my mind and time and natural forces that are biology, my existence, my limitations, and just say, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And what I realized is that by trying to get rid of all limitations, I became a slave to the limitations that actually existed, which was I'm going to collapse. You know, my medical life is going to break down. My health is going to break down. My mind is going to break down. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to life hack your way to being able to do everything is anti-human and, and your, your body and mind and soul will eventually pay for it. Now, I look at life as a series of chosen limitations. Like, oh, I can, I can only work this many days because I know I'm going to rest one day a week. You know, I can only do this many things in the evening because I know I'm going to be off my phone for at least an hour, just completely present with my family and kids. Like I, and I could go on, but all I see all of these habits as limiting mechanisms that get me comfortable being limited. And strangely, I find myself way more free in the right limitations.
0: Wow. I love that you wrote in the common rule. You had this sentence in this one I wrote down. It said, my life was an ode of worship to omniscience, omnipresence and limitlessness. No wonder my body rebelled. So yeah, it's this realization and acceptance that we are not machines. So since we're not machines, how should we then live in a way that's healthy? And I loved in this concept of talking about busyness, you had this really great sentence in there that made me think it said, baking bread is a sign that my life is in order. Baking bread. So tell me what you mean by that.
1: All right. Well, this is gonna involve a little confession because I haven't baked bread in a while, but let me tell you what I do mean. (laughs) I love baking naturally leavened sourdough bread. I got into it probably six or seven years ago. And I realized that when I was baking bread, a couple things were happening. One, it meant that I was slowed down necessarily because baking bread takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Like you cannot, to do it properly, speed up the process. And it's as if this is a major, you know, light bulb going off in my head. It should be obvious, but it was a light bulb going off to me like, oh my gosh, some things in life, some of the best things. You just have to wait for it. You just have to b- block out time. And then I realized I was getting, you know, point two, I was getting hands-on involved in a tactile process. Like if you don't need it right, if you don't fold it right, if you don't shape it right, if you don't score it right, then it doesn't come out right. And that is amazing because I otherwise work in this realm of lawyering and writing where you're always in your head, you're always thinking about the contract, you're always negotiating something or wondering if that line is put right. And nobody is going to tell you that's correct. You can always debate, should it have been shorter? Should it have been more punchy? Should it have been more this or that? You're just in this endless realm of I'm not sure. But when you get to the tactile realm of doing things with your hands, you know, either the bread is cooked or it isn't. You can eat it and somebody likes it or not. You can feel it and there's There's this sense of submission to the outside world beyond your head that I think is extremely healthy for our head. So I tell people now, there's a great quote by a rabbi, a civil rights era rabbi named Abraham Peschel. This quote is attributed to him, though it's not in any of his books. And that is that a man who works with his hands should Sabbath with his mind, but a man who works with his mind should Sabbath with his hands. And that idea has always stuck with me. So it's somebody who works with my mind all the time. For me to go and do something restful often means to go do something with my hands. Now I have traded uh, outdoor labor for the bread making. I'm spending more time with um, my work gloves on outside building something or doing something. And it's just it's just this idea that I need to be involved in tactile things to get out of my head because otherwise I'm a mental worker. That's what I do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's a sign that you have enough space because especially with the sourdough, which I've never done, I've tried. My friend Kayla does it, she's a master. But she'll say, you know you have to have all the timing right. You have to be ready for it. And so it's a sign that you have enough space and you related that in habits of the household to playing with your children. You said playing with your children is a similar sign because it can easily feel like there is always something better to do, always something that seems more urgent. So it's sort of that invisible current mm-hmm. that you're talking about. How are you making sure that you have time on top of owning a business, on top of being a husband and an author? Now three books here. How are you making sure that you have time to play with your sons?
1: Mm. You're a great reader, Jenny, by the way. I like lo- your I like how you're pulling out all these. Um, parts of the book that, yes, connect in my head, but I I love that you're seeing them as well. For me to be a good father means to set aside blocks of time to just be and play with my sons. And as somebody who thinks in terms of habit, and honestly, I recommend that other people should, the way that I think about that is one hour every weekday, and then a morning every Saturday, and a day every Sunday. Because for me, those are the times that are... Associated with rest for me. Now, I realize parenting is not always restful, but doing the hard work of parenting is the deep work of rest as well because it means I'm spending time with my kids and not doing my mind work. So let me describe briefly what that looks like. But first, I'll say this is still a struggle for me. So anybody else out there who's listening and thinking I've got it all together and that we don't have any issues in my household, or my wife saying like, "Hey, you you've been working too much this week." You've been like, "No, like we fight. Like we 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 are struggling. I'm always." Mm-hmm trying to push back work. And I think that's important to note because I don't know anybody who ever gets to the point where they're like, oh, it's just easy and static. No, mm-hmm. i I'm, you have to be fighting for margin in order to have margin. So I'm constantly battling. But the way that battle plays out is that every day when I get home, I take my phone and I put it in the RO box, which I used to have this habit in the common rule I wrote about called turning my phone off for an hour a day. Now, more often than not, I do that habit by putting it away in the RO box. And for me, it's a tactile signal and an incredible mental shift that my mind and my connectivity for the workday is done for at least an hour. And I'm going to play with my children. I'm going to be with them or help my wife cook dinner. And that's a recurring thing they can expect. That's the time to wrestle. I never schedule anything on Saturday mornings. I don't let work creep into those times. Um, I generally say no to fr- even friend hangouts on that time because I just know it's Saturday mornings. I just want to go take my boys out into the woods, a hike on the river, do a bike ride, something. And then Sunday is my Sabbath day. So it's just a rest day. And that's going to be filled for us with church and a family dinner and other things. But my kids can expect to see me all day that day. So it's just, it's fighting for those rhythms. And then beyond those rhythms, there's a lot of time in that week to work.
0: Yeah, there is.
1: And there's a lot of time to write books and do lawyering and do all the things. It's just limited to those times. Again, limitations will set you free.
0: Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops' price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. goodchop.com slash outside120 code outside 120. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, Every day, and it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com 1000. That's drinkag1.com 1000. Check it out. Yeah, I mean, I really got so much out of that, Justin, that these small things can really add up. You know, I think that some people might say, and I think there would be, or myself included, there's this bent toward saying, well, if I can't put my phone away for the entire evening, you know, like you said, I can put away for an hour, but there's probably still people messaging, you know, but so it's like, well, what's the point? But there is a point.
1: There is a point, yeah.
0: That these small things, add up to big things over time and i love that in your books you really actually go through the actual day and when you talk about i mean you're very vulnerable in this in these books and more so than i've read in many books you talk about struggling with envy you had this statement in the common rule when you had moved and you said you moved you know you moved and you met a new friend and you said we both skateboarded we both played the drums we we both projected a false confidence to hide our insecurities <laughs> i mean, this is great right this is yeah. like really this is the real life thing and so you go through an actual day like you talk about the morning that our habits of waking are never neutral but then you talk about i got so much out of this like between noon and two is this reconciliation of our limits and I think I certainly do. I wake up wide-eyed, like thinking, I'm going to get done a hundred things today. And then you hit one o'clock and you realize (laughs) it's not going to happen. And so you have this built into your day in the middle of the day and in the evening, a little bit, just a small bit of time, I think, to reflect and to recenter. So can you tell us just a little bit about that rhythm?
1: Yeah. So I if I if you're like me, you wake up with your mind either worried about what you're gonna do that day or super excited about all you're gonna get accomplished that day. And both of these same versions of centering on what am I gonna do today? And I use the word center on purpose because it is a wild thought. And you know, whatever your faith is, whatever your worldview is, or whatever you think about the world, we could probably all agree that it's a wild thought to think that we are at the center of time and the universe, right? Mm-hmm. And so I try for me, it's prayer in the mornings on my knees, very briefly. And like when I got up this morning, instead of thinking about all the things I had to do in the work week, which were on my mind, I just knelt for a moment and said, thank you that I am awake again, that I am rested again. And, you know, help me to do all these things with service today. And for me, that's it's just a flip of like, okay, wait, it's not about me. Actually, there's been enormous things given to me, sleep, rest, and opportunities to work. And that means I have things to give, you know, let me serve mm-hmm. other people. And that helps take me out of the center of existence, which is an enormous place of pressure. Like if the world mm-hmm. hangs on you, you will mentally fall apart. And I've experienced it. And I have found that this act of decentering— a lot of people call, call it centering, but for me, it's like getting myself out of the center mm-hmm. and realizing that. God and other people are at the center. It lasts for maybe an hour or two. And then you're back in your emails and your work and the home of getting kids to school. And you realize if you're like me, you constantly need to be called back. So for me, rhythms of prayer, and I have a lot of friends who this is rhythms of meditations where you just pause mid-workday, pause at the end of the day. So this for me, this is just morning, noon, and night, a moment to pause and try to remind myself that the world is not about me. Those are micro moments. Each of them lasts maybe 20 seconds. But I I think of them as punctuation marks in the sentence of the day that give meaning to what otherwise would just be a run-on sentence of how much can Justin do today. And that's exhausting. But punctuating the day with prayer and meditation is actually an incredible way to bring small bits of meaning to a life because Mm -hmm. Annie Dillard once wrote, "Our, our days become our lives. And so, for anybody wondering, like, can these small things really matter? Absolutely. The small things that you do become the big things that you do. So pay attention small if you want to create anything big.
0: Yeah. I mean, I got a lot out of that noon to two because I related to that. And then you went on to the evening. And I've always thought this, especially my husband, Josh, he works in the home. He's worked out of our home for a long time. But when I was growing up, my dad, he worked out of the home. And He'd be gone long, you know, long work days. He was a hard worker, a great worker. You know, and I remember as a kid, he's coming home at five, five 6 o'clock, and we're ready to play ball in the front yard, and everyone's just waiting at the door for him to come in. And it it really makes you think the life of a father that that's hard. That you have put in a full day of work and that you come home and not only are you dealing with this limited like there was a this was really good in the common rule. A pastor said he is genuinely sad every evening because there's always so much more he wanted to do with the day. And you say, And that's how I feel. The evening can bring a time of severe self-judgment. So here we are. We're entering this evening period of time where our kids are so excited to see us and to spend time with us. But we maybe have failed or not finished what we wanted to do. And they're ramped up for attention, you say. And so it's an interesting thing because you're exhausted. And there is this, I think vulnerability is a word that you use to plop Mm. on a screen, to kind of scroll it all away. And yet you are taking that hour to be present with your kids. Is it hard every day? Have you gotten used to
1: it? Yes. And yes, (laughs) it is. And by the way, Jenny, I I appreciate what you just said. Um, I, I do think it's really hard to be a good father. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine and I think from watching my wife that it's also really hard to be a good mother. But um, she's a stay-at-home mom right now. And I think the struggles are sort of equal but different. I mean, one yeah. of her major struggles is just it's constantly the same thing. Like nobody in the house of four boys is giving her a moment to really focus on anything or finish a task. You know, yeah. I at work at the office do get the privilege of being able to focus quietly on something sort of. I have a lot of clamoring clients. And sometimes finish stuff, but it seems like my clients are endless churn. But it is hard. And I just appreciate you noting it that I come home from a very demanding day of work. And by the way, having to say no to so many people at the end of the day, just in order to make it home on time. And then mm-hmm. it's like, now the real work begins. Right. And you're like tagging somebody out. And it is really hard. So I just appreciate, I feel more seen from you naming that. But nonetheless, it's my privilege. And it's so important Like to give my wife and my boys my face my attention, my presence. I say that presence is the medium of love. I don't know any other way to love people outside of actually being present with them. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, one, I've got to learn to put the phone away when I get home. And um, that's only the beginning. I mean, that is the challenge of, am I going to be patient? Am I going to be kind? And I am Mm -hmm. not by default a patient and kind person. So Mm -hmm. I would say habits are... Easier than you think. If you practice putting your phone away for an hour or two every evening for the next week, you'll find on day seven it's actually a lot easier than day one. And if you do it till day 14 or day 21, it's just automatic. It's it is easy. Now Mm -hmm. that's easy to get in a rhythm of putting your phone away every evening. Everybody should do it. Get an RO box, just turn it off, whatever. Actually, to be present and loving with your family, that's always going to be hard. But I will say something significant. Human beings, I think our spiritual DNA is the way I put it, we long for presence. And neuroplasticity is an amazing thing. Our minds will change back to health if we give them the opportunity and the right circumstances. And so no matter how distracted you've been or how impatient with your kids you've been or how hard they think, know that your body and your mind actually wants to be around your kids and loving them and around Mm -hmm. your spouse and loving them. And if you give yourself those windows... That practice, I'm I'm not going to say it's ever easy. Nothing important in life is easy, but it, Mm -hmm. it is possible, and it's very satisfying, and it is where the heart of the good life is, to just be present with your family.
0: Yeah. Wow. That is really powerful. And you had an amazing story at the start of Habits of the Household. But really, this is the thing that's interesting to me. I think that there's a lot of books that are coming out about habits, or maybe they always have been, but now I think that they're... More prominent because of our phones.
1: I think there's more, yeah.
0: Because of our phones. People are clamoring for solution. But you know, you hear a lot about habits. Like, so we have habits. Like, a thousand hours outside is kind of like a habit. You know, I'm trying to walk every day. That's kind of like a habit. But you take the approach of habits infused with rhythm. And that's a really different way to look at it. As opposed to like daily, I want to do X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, like, yes, that. And if you can have these micro moments to readjust with these rhythms that truly like you also bring out the fact that we're all struggling with the same things, which is a really interesting part of your book too the vulnerabilities that we have and the concerns that we have and the things that we're having a hard time we all do. So I would imagine every single person here listening struggles with 12 to two, and every single person struggles with that evening time that our kids want our attention, we're going into bedtime, mm-hmm. but we are absolutely tapped and drained from the day. and. You know, do, oh, do we still have what it takes? And so you started Habits of the Household with a great story about bedtime, and you use mm-hmm. this sentence: "You said I was disappointed with my ordinary. One night is one thing; a norm is another." So, can you tell us a little bit about that? You have great stories in here, great personal stories <sighs> about that story. It was like a light bulb moment for you, just dealing with the bedtime and. I can't imagine putting four sons to bed.
1: <laughs> it's very physical. It's very physical.
0: <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us about that story?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I did all of this work that I sort of just t- told you about and working through my daily habits with technology and, and work and phones and stuff. But I did have this night, and it was only a couple of years ago, where I realized that I had largely not applied this habit wisdom to my family and my parenting. And it came about in a very ordinary evening, which was putting my at that time it was my three sons to bed. And my wife was pregnant with our fourth. And it's just like even last night, it's just always so strikingly similar. They're hmm. if they're taking baths, they're getting bath water all over the floor. And like they're fighting over the toothbrushes or fighting with me over I passed out the wrong toothbrushes and they always get most into what Lauren and I call like their their puppy mode. Like they just start like playing and frolicking right when they're supposed to go to bed. So half of me is like, well, they're playing now. This is great. Half of me is like, you got to go to bed. It's a, it's just chaos. Right. (laughs) And I remember this one night where I got just like fed up and this is not unusual. I just sort of flipped this switch and suddenly was like, boys, we've got to go to bed. And that's when I, I'm starting to threaten, you know, if, like my actions are not carried out right now and my commands are not heeded. And I just, I get yelly and I like started saying things like no more water. We're done with water, which should be a sign. Like, wait, what? Like they can't have water. That's a weird thing. And then I put them to bed this particular night. And I remember saying a quick prayer or something about like, I love them. God does too. And I was shut the door in the hallway, just super mad and super impatient. And I just had this moment of conviction one, that's a I love you and God does too is a weird thing to say after you've been yelling them to bed because what do they think that what do they think love means right? And second, I, what just hit me in that hall that evening was that this was a fairly normal night and that was what suddenly was like oh it's fairly normal for me to flip into this super aggressive commanding ang- angry mode I'm going to call it is like just angry and yelling at my kids and I was like that's what it feels like to live with me, I guess. And that was very upsetting to me at at that point. And look, I'm saying this, I'm I'm guessing anybody who has kids that's listening is like, oh yeah, I have my version of that. I mean, if you meditate on your life, you're going to find failures because you're a human being. Don't let that hang you up. It was actually one of the most important nights of my life because despite the fact that it hurt to realize, oh. I'm regularly angry with my kids, and this is what it's like to live with me. That was also the time where I realized, I need to work on that. And if your problem is knee-jerk instincts that make you a frustrated, yelling parent, you know, insert whatever your struggle is, you, you didn't think your way there because nobody wants to be like that. Nobody says, like, that's what I hope to be tomorrow. You didn't think your way there. You practiced your way there. You just... Knee jerk mm. reacted your way there. And so you got to fight fire with fire. You can't think yourself out of a problem you didn't think yourself into. You need to practice your way out because you practice your way into it. And that is the realm of habit. And so that's when yeah. I started realizing I need a new routine, not to make my kids behave better in the evenings, but to make me react better to their misbehavior. And for that, you know, that was introducing what I call a bedtime liturgy, which was just a, a way of walking them through a, a prayer and some, question and answers. And the, the reason that that started to help me was not because it made them behave better. It was because I started to focus on a different point in the evening. The goal of the evening wasn't to just get them quiet in bed and then like I could go do my own thing. The goal of the evening was to walk them through this moment of prayer and presence and send them off to bed. And when I started focusing on that through practice, it totally changed everything. And you know, our lights are still pretty wild, <laughs> but I am a different person. And um, I would just encourage anybody out there that, you know, it's not going to be easy, but you can't change. You're not stuck with the life you have right now. And you're not stuck with your reactions that you have right now. You can and should practice better ones. And that's that's what Habits of the Household is about. It's about looking at all the ordinary moments of the day and practicing better habits.
0: Right. And you say so clearly, the circumstances do not change. And that was a, a big thing I got out of it. You know, so, for example, if you're a family that does family devotions or we do family read aloud, yes. it's not it's not like, you know, you see other people and the kids are just sitting there whittling a <laughs> stick or <laughs> knitting, you know, and they're listening to the story. And our kids are yeah. making fun and poking fun of this and they got to put a comment yeah. in. And that doesn't change. And like no. you know, bedtime roughhousing and all that type of thing, fighting over the toothbrush, that. Doesn't change. Kids are kids, and that's yes. what they're doing with each other. That's their, you know, that's the way that they interact, and that's their culture.
1: That's what it looks like to mm-hmm. be a family. And I, I just think this is one of the most important things I want to communicate to people that happens at the household. It's going to look like a mess, and that is okay. You know, you know, anything worth doing is hard, and anything you do as a family with children is going to be pretty messy. And so if you decide, Oh, we can't do this unless it works well or looks pretty. You're not going to do anything because if you're trying to do a family dinner, it's going to be a mess. If you're trying to do some reading time together, you know, you better be ready for some interruptions and some spontaneous like breakdowns or wrestling matches or whatever. If you want to go on a walk outside, you're going to have to deal with some emotions. If you want to go camping, you're going to have to deal with, you know, all of this stuff is a mess and that's okay. Our life is formed in that mess of how we love each other anyway in that mess and how we bear it out together and i just i want to encourage people towards like reorienting what they expect their household to be because all the habits that i talk about for the household are sort of ways to help you deal graciously kindly and lovingly and patiently in that mess and to forgive yourself when you don't do it well Mm because you're also a mess and that's okay so the messy messy things (laughs) can be beautiful things It's (laughs) it's, That's what I leave people yeah, like. <laughs> it's a huge, it's a huge
0: message from your book. Absolutely. You just keep going. Keep going with your imperfect things that you're trying. This is going to yeah. come out near Father's Day, Justin. So this is such a great episode. Great for dads, uh, great for families to listen to. And you have some really cool stories in your books about your dad. One of the ones yeah. is that he ran for governor in the state of Virginia. And so this is a great story. You talked about how he, you really wanted him to win because you would have gotten to live in the mansion. What a no, cool thing, no. but he didn't win. And you talk in your book about his reaction to that. Can you tell us about that?
1: That's one of those moments. I don't think that he even knew what was happening at the time, but parents set patterns, right? And I mean, I was so excited to live in the governor's mansion. It would have been my senior year of high school. you know. <laughs> like I, I was just, I grabbed myself to sleep that night as a teenager. And But I'll never forget the next morning when I woke up, he was first in his Study reading his Bible as he not always was, but often enough was that That's just where I'm, you know, that's how I remember him in the morning. Interesting note on habit, right? Your kids have these memories of you. And I just, I remember him telling us that morning over pancakes, like we just lost the election. Yet The next morning he was up chipper making pancakes for us, telling us how much he was excited about the days to come, even though he had no idea what, what they were. I probably never really thought about that morning until 10, 15 years later when as a father who has their own stressors and hopes and dreams for their career and has their own wrestling with am I successful? Am I a failure? I just started to think about, oh my gosh, my dad's greatest moment of failure that like I everyone could notice because the votes came in and he lost. In that moment, he was content, he was happy, he was whistling and making pancakes, and he was talking about how he was excited for the future. And that's when I thought, what did he too differently, because politicians usually aren't that stable, normal, and happy. And that was one of those things that really led me to examine his life of habit, particularly how he spent time meditating, praying, and reading every morning. Because I imagine when you wake up and read the news headlines every morning, you're not going to be so even keeled. So, I always, I always think back to that habit of his, and it was I still carry that with me. It's one mm-hmm. of those great inherited moments of a healthy childhood that I'm ever grateful for.
0: This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy, is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit betterhelp.com 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P slash 1,000 hours. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie-smart, protein-plus, and keto factor factormeals.com slash outside 50 to get 50% off. Right. Right. Because, I, mean, I mean, that's the biggest failure of your career. <laughs> and it's public. And your kids. Yes, and there's yeah. a little bit of even, it's interesting to think about the failures that we experience as adults that normally our kids don't have something riding on them. So he probably knew that you were excited about that mansion. So there's an yeah. extra thing, right? You think, oh, I, I failed yeah. and I also let down my kids, or I let down my wife or my family. There's a lot to that. And yet he just yeah. went in pursuit on a normal day. He had good habits.
1: Yeah, I, absolutely. You know, and I, it just came to mind, though. I don't think I've ever phrased it like this. It reminds me of how significant it is as a parent to act with patience and love in your own moments of failure, you know? And yeah. it makes me realize when you have, oops, I messed up, or, oh, this didn't go how I planned. You have actually have an incredible opportunity. Your kids don't even know it, but they're watching in that moment. Like, what is mom or dad like when they're unhappy? You know, Or what are mom and dad like when something's not going right? And um, you'll fail a lot, but you have a lot of opportunity in those moments of failure to set an example of how to deal or how to apologize or how to be happy anyway. And I think back to that moment, It's was like, oh, that's what my dad did. I'm, I'm so thankful for that. I don't think he, any of us knew he was doing it at the time.
0: Yeah, it is truly incredible to have lost the race for governor, and to just up and making pancakes the next morning. I love the word that you use, chipper i don't think hardly i don't think most people are chipper that's a great word that's a great word something to fight for yeah sure there was another story about your dad and i love the way that you worded this you were talking about how he was working on one of his motorcycles or on a motorcycle or something like that and you said i stood off to the side waiting for someone to ask me to help when my dad finally looked up and said hey can you hand me that wrench you would have thought i was just drafted into the major leagues asked to be secretary of state or hand selected for the Navy SEALs. I was over the moon because I was involved. And I think that goes back Mm -hmm. to space. You know, we talk about involving your kids. I mean, it makes things harder and longer.
1: Yes, every time. (laughs) Every time. But they are sitting there waiting for you to involve them in your life. And I just, I always remember that moment. My uncle and my dad, one of the Floor of the garage that was painted red, and they were working on the motorcycle. And like, no, I couldn't help, but how badly I wanted to help and be involved. And I think about this all the time now. When I when I pack a suitcase, or when I'm fixing a bike, or like hammering in a nail, I, I think, I wonder if one of the boys wants to help with this, because I remember how deeply I longed to be a part of what my parents were doing. And um, I just think it's such a beautiful gift. in in, in two, one. They want to be with you. And so your, your work, um, if you're willing to slow it down and dumb it down and not just get it done, but involve them, it, there's just so many beautiful moments of parenting that come out of the attitude of let me involve them instead of let me get this done. And second, they need to learn. Like, it's such a gift to teach them, you know, I've literally given my kids lessons on like, here's how to hammer a nail properly so it doesn't bend. Or here's the way to unscrew a screw properly so you don't strip it. And those are just simple things that even four-year-olds can work on. But, you know, more complicated, you know, teaching my kids how to make a tree fort very, very slowly right now. We've been at it for months. But just little things that you can do, change a tire and increasingly it will become technological too. Here's how to keep a inbox or keep a schedule or something like that. Oh man, these little intangibles of you just passing on, here's how to live life. Also wonderful. Like I love, you know, watching my dad do anything. So those are just like, I think I'll end this with just by saying a lot of the majesty of parenting is in the ordinary moments. And when you realize that those ordinary moments when aggregated become your life, and each individually can actually be glorious if we're present to one another. You're really on to something because parenting, which always is going to be tiring, always going to be hard and always going to be just demanding, can also be very, very beautiful and very, very loving. And it can introduce us both to new moments of life constantly. And that is just, it's worth fighting for in small moments of the day.
0: Well, it really shines right there because you never know what your kid's going to do with their life. They have their own path, their own plan, and your dad didn't know that you were going to be an author. And of all the things as a parent, and obviously you have several things about him in your books, but what ends up in the book? My dad asked me to get him a wrench. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is really such an insignificant moment, but it's in a yeah. book now mm-hmm. that, you know, so many people are reading, and it's just a reminder that those small things matter more than we realize to our children. I really loved in this book you had a lot of really cool questions, lists of questions. So questions you could ask your kid, questions you could ask your spouse, questions you could ask friends for relationships. And relationships is a big part of your books and your new book coming out is about relationships. So you mm-hmm. you wrote in the common rule that once you were done with law school, that you arranged your life for the sake of friendships which I thought was a really cool thing. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yes. The Common Rule and Habits of the Household, as I kind of described, both of these books came out of a little bit of crisis. Common Rule, big crisis. Habits of the Household, maybe a smaller one. Made for People, which is coming out this summer, and it's about the value of friendships. I am happy to say did not come out of crisis, but has kind of come out of blessing. Because really, ever since really ever since my like adult life, you know, college and afterwards, really even high school, I have found myself lucky enough to be counted amongst close friends, to have many friends at my side, and most importantly, to have just one or two deep friendships at my side.
2: And when I, um,
1: one of the things I did do right, I think, after after graduating law school, amidst all the things I did wrong, was that I did arrange my life for friendship. I, I realized it was going to be a very hard career, even before I realized how hard it was mm. going to be, and I. Re- I was going to be parenting at the same time. So instead of moving to New York or staying in DC, where I went to law school, we even debated going to Shanghai, where we used to live, like one of these top tier cities to work in the top tier law firm. And I had offers at firms like this. We decided to move to Richmond, Virginia, where I still live, because we thought it's going to be important to be around other people in these demanding years. And we arranged our life for friendship way. We literally put our house in close proximity to someone else's house and lived with other people even at times. I am forever grateful that because as I've gone through now, almost a decade of a very tough career, a very serious mental break breakdown and really demanding parenting years with four boys who just seem to me to be challenging. Love them. They might listen to this episode someday. someday. Love you guys, but you are hard as I've gone through that life. I've realized having deep relationships by your side is irreplaceable. It is Mm -hmm. like, I would almost say it's like a magic solution to whatever you're going through in life. And whether it's mental illness or suffering or physical stuff or just painful if you have a friend at your side who you can talk to and who asks you questions and listens, you will change each other's lives. That is the power of having somebody who you talk to, who you're vulnerable with. I could go into all kinds of ways it changes your life, but just I'll just leave it at that. It it changes everything about your experiences. So I just I'm writing this new book made for people to encourage people to arrange their life for friendship.
0: Mm-hmm. And in the book, do you give ways? How do you do it?
1: Yeah. So this is not necessarily a habit-centric book because I felt it would be false to say that you know friendship is really a matter of picking the right habits. I think it's more complicated than that. So the book yeah. is built around the arts and habits of friendship, and it's 10 chapters on arts of friendship. But each one comes with a habit. So I talk about, for example, the art of communication or the art of geography, the art of vulnerability, the art of honesty. And each one of these comes with a habit of you know the habit of saying what you mean, or the habit of living in proximity to people, the habit of choosing a, a schedule that works. So I do give people really practical things. But one of my hopes is also just to elevate the word friendship and sort of suggest that, you know, in an age where Facebook has made friendship into a verb, and I'm not say blaming Facebook for any of this, but just in an age when a friend is seen as maybe something that could be peripheral to life and maybe a luxury, um, not necessary for survival. I actually opened the book with stats on our loneliness epidemic and says, actually, no, it actually is essential to your physical survival, it's essential to your mental survival, your spiritual survival. And really, you, you won't survive, much less you won't thrive unless you arrange your life for deep friendships. And mm-hmm. give tons of practical ways. But I just want, I want people to think about, you know, on the top tier of things that I need in my life, friends need to be really close to the top because you won't mm-hmm. do well without them.
0: Hmm. Well, and it's interesting to look at your story and to see a business owner for kids who is also making time date night. You do date night. So you're also making yeah. time for friendships. And it's a really inspiring and influential thing that you're talking about and actually doing in your own life and like i said there's great questions in here conversation topics and then you talk about vulnerabilities there's a a, someone shows up at your door and says i didn't tell you everything
1: yeah right
0: i i need to let it out and so you talk about telling your secrets basically being very honest
1: yeah, I think a big part of friendship to me, there's a lot of ways you can define it, but a big part of friendship, in my view of the world, is somebody who knows you thoroughly and sticks around anyway. And so that idea of you know learning to disclose yourself, learning to actually talk about the hard things in your life. I mean, one thing I did well, I think, in my mental crisis was like really to tell people, here's you know the here's the mental fire that I'm experiencing, which is embarrassing right? And then to be somebody who can hear that from other people, to hear their embarrassing things. And then an incredible thing happens when you're friends. And that is when you stick around anyway and have another conversation anyway, you demonstrate a love that is not conditional, you know, a love and a commitment to somebody that is, um, you can know them thoroughly and love them anyway. We're all deeply longing for those kind of relationships. I think in a serious way, that's what a spouse relationship and a parent-child relationship should be like as well. But I just want to note this about the friendship point. If you're listening to this and you're now worried about, here are all the other things I have to add to my life, I would say, one, remember that the power of habits is incredible. These things can happen. They become unconscious and just part of your daily routine. Two, friendship is one of those things where it is incredibly disproportionate in time to the effect. I mean, I can spend a meaningful hour or two a week, sometimes just an hour every other week. Yeah. in real good conversation with a friend. And it's like, whoa, my life has changed again. I mean, you can't do that with anything else. If you only worked one hour a week, you you would not do well. If you only parented one hour a week, I wouldn't call you a parent. You're clearly an uncle or something else. You know, <laughs> if, if you only slept one hour a week, you'd be dead. If you only ate one hour a week, you know, there's all these things right. in life that you do all the time that you have to do for many hours a day. Friendship is one of those things where it just a good Friday night conversation with a friend or a good Tuesday morning coffee or something where you just really are honest for an hour, and that will sustain you in incredible ways. So it's it's not a burden, it's a gift, and it doesn't take a lot of time to arrange Mm -hmm. your life for friendship. But it takes one intentional choice, and that choice changes everything.
0: Yeah. And you talk about, we tend to sacrifice that in, in when our lives are the hardest, but when we need it the most. And so I can't wait yes. to be made for people. In fact, really in my own life, I was thinking through, cause you talk a lot about eating meals together and that our time outside has facilitated that for our family, for me as a mother, that, you know, mm-hmm. that's what we did during the day with these small kids. And that's what I did and met up, met up with friends. We'd all eat lunch together. And that was the sustaining notes of early childhood chaos and that exhaustion. And I wouldn't have made it through without those relationships. And so I'm so excited to read Made for People. Why We Drift Into Loneliness and How to Fight for a Life of Friendship that is already available for pre-order. It comes out in August. And I always say that pre-orders are so helpful for authors. If you love their content, you pre-order their book. That means you get one. That's the first thing. But then also (laughs) it just, it helps helps on a lot of levels for authors. So people could pre-order that now Made for People. Justin, if people want to find more about you, where can they go?
1: They can go to justinwhitmoreearly.com and there's a lot of spelling there, but I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. And it's also really easy to just Google Justin Early, author, lawyer, and you'll find all the right places.
0: Mm -hmm. And Early has an extra E in there. So that's important. E-A-R-L-T-E-Y, Justin Early. And you can find you on social media and those types of things too, but sign up for an email list to make sure that you don't miss that book that's coming out. Also, Habits of the Household, which was so cool that we already had. My husband Josh said, I do yes. know, somebody recommended it. He said someone recommended it to him. He couldn't remember. And the common rule even comes in large print version if you're interested. <laughs> <There> you <go. laughs> yes, or the audio
1: books. <laughs> I'd love to read my books to you if you'd like.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Justin, we always end our show with the same question. What is a favorite memory from your childhood that was outside?
1: Ooh, a favorite memory from my childhood is outside. When I was in high school, we lived um, just beyond a neighborhood lake. And in the summers, my brothers and I um, would wake up early. And I always think back to this, because I'm like, I gotta make sure I work with my kids to do this. We, now we didn't ask anybody permission. You know, we just got our fishing stuff and went outside and like walked the seven minute walk, you know, through the woods down to the lake and just started fishing. And I, I think of these times it just, I, I was with my brother, we were developing relationship. We were in the world of things. We're getting our energy out, um, getting some sun. And I just, man, those are glorious mess. And I often find myself having to send my boys out now, but I'm thinking, oh, the the time will come where they'll just wake up, won't ask me. They'll just go outside and go do something. And I didn't even thought about that in years, since you, Mm. until you asked, but thanks for asking.
0: Mm. You know, they say that most of our biggest childhood memories are when we're alone. When we're not with parents, there's no overseeing eye and you're navigating the world on your own. So that's that's a really cool memory out fishing with your brother. How neat. Well, Justin, I really have enjoyed your books and enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're a busy business owner, father, and husband, and author. So thank you for being here. And I can't wait to talk about Made for People here in a couple months.
1: Well, you're a wonderful reader, a great question asker. And thank you, sir, so much. Thank you so much for what you do. This has been tremendous. Thanks, Jenny.